BGU Radio. Greetings to our listeners. Welcome to the show. My name is Yoni Teitelbaum. I'm a PhD student here at the Zuckerberg Institute for Water Research at Ben Gurion University. I'm joined tonight by my fellow PhD student, Shaked Stein, who is actually just wrapping up his own PhD on the topic of using saline groundwater for desalination. Shaked, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start with the basics? Saline groundwater. What does that term mean? So first of all, I want to say that uh, I'm working on saline groundwater from coastal aquifers, which means that it is the outcome of seawater intrusion. So basically, when I'm talking about saline groundwater, I'm talking about seawater that had intruded into the aquifer and salinized the aquifer. So the term saline groundwater can refer to seawater salinity, as well as in the coastal aquifer in Israel is a, is a bit l- uh, less saline, which means here it's about 85% salinity of seawater. I see. And so how are these levels determined? I mean, on the range from potable water to seawater, in between you have brackish water. Yeah. So potable water, that's changing uh, according to the state, according to the standard in each state. But whenever it's not potable anymore, so it's, it's referred as brackish water, well, this definition varies between different scientists, but the way I define it, and well, we define it here, is when it's more than 10,000 ppm of uh, salinity in the water, so it's no longer brackish, we call it saline groundwater. But when I'm talking about saline groundwater, I'm talking about more or less between 30 to 39 or 40 even thousand ppm of salinity. Let's backtrack a bit. You mentioned the intrusion of seawater into the aquifer. Can yeah. you say a sentence or two about that process, what it is, how it works? Yeah, definitely. So basically, seawater intrusion uh, is a natural phenomenon. It occurs naturally uh, almost in every uh, coastal aquifer, which has good connection with the, with the sea, with the ocean. And it creates this uh, salinity wedge that goes inland. This saline water, bo- groundwater body is uh, in connection with the fresh groundwater body. And uh, in between, you have this mixing zone, or we call it the fresh saline water interface. So what are some of the factors affecting the location of the freshwater or saltwater interface? There are many factors that can affect the, the, the interface, such as uh, sea level rise. When you have sea level rise, you have... Uh, now you're talking about in the long-term sense of climate change? Exactly, exactly. In long, yeah, exactly what you said. Um, and so how does that affect where the interface is? If you have higher pressure from the sea, you have more water, you have higher column of water, so the sea will intrude even further inland. So basically the sea presses down and in on the... Exactly, aquifer. exactly. So it can press down and in also due to tides, like high tides. In high tides, it would go in, and in low tides, it would go back. Right? So you're talking about even day to day or within a day. Exactly. So if you think about time scales, it happens daily, it happens seasonally, and it happens annually in the course of decades and hundred years and thousands of years. And when you say seasonally, what are some of the reasons for seasonal fluctuations? Let's think about the, the Israeli winter. In the Israeli winter is characterized by rain, right? And when when it rains, the fresh ground, right? It's fresh, it's fresh water. The rain is fresh water, right? So it penetrates and reaches the aquifer and elevates the, the water table. And when it elevates the water table, the pressure is higher. So okay? basically it's the, the same effect that we just talked about, but in the opposite direction. So now you have a higher column of fresh water and it's actually 
pushing down and out. Exactly. Pushing down towards the sea, right? So fresh water, like any other river or water that is, that is moving, it all goes to the lowest point. So the lowest pressure, the lowest hydraulic head, we can, we can call it. So like rivers, the fresh groundwater flows to the sea. And this, uh, this interface between the saline and the, uh, and the fresh groundwater is, is shifting constantly, is, is, is dynamic, is very dynamic. But one of the major issues, one of the major um, concerns is that because of fresh groundwater pumping, because of overexploitation of, of the coastal aquifer, you have enhanced seawater intrusion. So basically, because of pumping, you create this drawdown in the uh, water table pressure, and that causes the seawater to intrude more. Right? So because the water table level goes down, then you have less of that pressure of the fresh water out against uh-huh. the sea, and so the sea responds by pressing in. Exactly. Yes. But basically, the, what had happened here and all over the world is because over-exploitation of fresh groundwater, this interface basically moved landwards a lot and salinized and contaminated the fresh groundwater body. And that, that, that's a, a big issue worldwide. So to summarize something you said, when we pump water from an aquifer that's near the coast, we actually are in effect sucking the seawater in is that is that correct is that, that a fair that's, way that's to... perfectly right that, that's exactly what's what's happening what had been happening since in israel since the 50s specifically in places with higher population here in israel it's uh, the gushdan the tel aviv area one way to combat this mm-hmm. is uh, negative hydraulic barriers which is basically pumping saline groundwater beneath the this uh, interface so uh, you're talking about drilling a well near the coast and actually sucking out that seawater that has intruded underneath the coast. Is that right? Exactly. So you can drill a well near the coast. You can drill the well offshore as well. But the, the, the idea is, the main idea is that you pump the saline groundwater uh, relatively close to the, to the interface in order to freshen this location, this area. And, and, that, that's, and that's exactly my research. Yeah. And I was looking into it with a pumping test in the field and also uh, with a numerical modeling. And what I saw is exactly that. That when you pump the saline groundwater, you create this this fresh uh, bubble inside the the aquifer that had been salinized before. So you're pretty much sucking the fresh aquifer back out towards the sea, and at the same time, you're preventing the further intrusion of the seawater by pumping it upwards. Exactly. So it's a bit complicated because whenever you pump the saline groundwater, you create more seawater intrusion, like you enhance seawater intrusion. But we need to understand that this enhanced sea, the, the seawater that is getting uh, with higher velocity into the aquifer is, is going out. It's going uh, up. It's, it's, going, it's going up. It's going out of the aquifer right. uh, through the pumps, right? right. So you, you create this barrier. The interface is more or less stabilized after several years. And even if you pump fresh water up the hydraulic gradient, like landward, you can pump it safely and the interface will not penetrate further to the fresh well. Got it. So why would you consider in the first place the idea of using saline groundwater? What are the, some of the potential advantages? So we talked about the hydrological aspects, but okay, what do you do with this water? So, you, so one of the options, which is a very good option, is to use it for desalination. And again, as I said before, it's basically seawater, but the seawater that, that is intruding into the aquifer goes through porous media, several hundred of meters of porous media, which is filtered naturally. When you say porous media, you're talking about sand, rock? I'm talking about all kinds of rocks. Uh, here in Israel, we have sandstones, uh, calcareous sandstones, just sand, silts. So that rock acts 
as a filter, you say. This rock acts as a, as a major filter. It filters almost all the biological materials, all the organic matters. We found in the saline groundwater almost no organic matter, no particular and no dissolved organic matter. We found very little bacteria, of course, when you compare it to seawater concentrations. And also it reduces the seal density index, which is an index for desalination. Basically, it means the amount of seal particles that can potentially clog the membrane and enhance fouling on the membrane. When I'm talking about membranes, it's reverse osmosis membranes. This is the, 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 the method that you use to desalinate uh, saline water. So uh, it's a membrane separation system, right? So basically, you have a giant head start in removing all of the things from the seawater that you don't want to be in there. Exactly. So it, it can uh, reduce the need for pretreatment. So pretreatment is a big deal in desalination facilities. It takes lots of land and also lots of capital costs and also lots of operational needs. And if you can minimize it, so you can definitely uh, reduce the, the total cost of the water itself. So uh, all of that in addition to the fact that there's less salt to begin with in the saline groundwater as opposed to seawater. So yeah, so the, the fact that there's a bit less salt, and this is due to uh, mixing and dilution with the fresh groundwater body, it reduces the applied pressure that is needed to the process. And the applied pressure is a major issue in the cost breakdown. So, so, it's, so the, the reason for that is that you have to apply energy in order to apply pressure, is that right? Uh, that's exactly right. So in order to apply pressure, you need, you need electricity, you need energy. So just, just to put in all of this into numbers, when you desalinate seawater, you use uh, between 70 to 74 bars of pressure. And uh, if you take the saline groundwater salinity and you want the same permeate flux at the end, you, you want the same amount of water at the end, so you need to use around 60 or 62 bars, which is a major... Savings. Savings, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... We started talking about the advantages of using this uh, saline groundwater for desalination. So, uh, yeah, we, so one, the one of the advantages is the, the lower salinity. But I, I need to be honest, it's not, this, it's not the case all over the world. Some, aquifer, some coastal aquifers has exactly the same salinity as the sea. Some even has more. So it's case-specific. And uh, in order to, uh, to actually do it and desalinate the saline groundwater, you need, you need to do this preliminary study of the area and to understand uh, what, what are the salinity sources because some places you have these ancient salt domes inside of the inside of the rock that can salinize and make huge problems okay so this is just an issue that I wanted to mention so basically the the specifics of uh, whether using saline groundwater will be beneficial or not it's dependent on the site is that right it's dependent on the site but there are some universal advantages so one is the one is the filtration as i mentioned before and in many places um you have oxic oxidized fresh groundwater body and the saline groundwater body is anoxic it, it is oxygen depleted this is because it's come from the ocean and in the bottom of the ocean you have the sediment and you have uh, lots of bacteria that just breathe all of the all of the oxygen and all of the other electron acceptors that are left is being used slowly. So you have different redox states, different reduction oxidation states in the saline groundwater around the world that, that is beneficial for the desalination. Well, why you ask? So I will answer. Uh, <laughs> because it's anoxic and you have, you have uh, less, you don't have oxygen. 
So you, the potential for biofouling is, is way lower because bacteria want to use oxygen more than any other electron acceptor. And so when you talk about biofouling, you're talking about accumulation of bacteria on the membrane. Exactly. Biofouling is the accumulation of biofilm on the membrane, which basically reduce the, reduce the, the membrane performance. And it's a major issue uh, in um, membrane-based uh, desalination. So let me ask you this. Is anybody already using saline groundwater for desalination? There are several, I think two or three desalination plants in Malta and California. I know about one, but maybe there's another one or two. In the Caribbean, in Spain, you have a lot of desalination plants that pump uh, saline groundwater for desalination. In the Emirates, in Saudi Arabia, uh, basically all over the world. And now, in, the, in recent years, the, the trend is, first of all, to look if you can use saline groundwater from the hydrological perspective. And if you can, so probably you want to do it. I see. Are there any drawbacks to using saline groundwater as opposed to seawater? For sure. Yeah, I didn't mention it before, but most of the desalination plants take seawater for their feed, right? Uh, and taking seawater is pretty easy. You just put a pipe in the ocean and, and, and pump as much as you want. It's endless. But for, to pump saline groundwater, you need to drill boreholes. You need to drill pumping wells. And how deep do you have to drill those? Well, that depends on the, depends on the oh. site. But he, let's say here in Israel, you can, you can drill for 50, 60 meters and you can, uh, you can pump saline groundwater. Mm -hmm. But uh, drilling these wells cost a lot, of, a lot of money and depends on the transmissivity of the aquifer, the hydrological properties of the aquifer. So it would tell you how many pumping wells you need in order to get X amount of water a year. So sometimes it can be like 20 wells. Sometimes you want only 10 wells. Sometimes you need even more. Um, so it's a big startup cost is what you're saying. Exactly. So the capital cost is much higher. Mm -hmm. However, the operational cost is much lower because you save energy and you save pretreatment and you have less fouling. So uh, in the places where they're already using saline groundwater for desalination, did they already know that this was a good option? Or did they do this for lack of any other options? I think that what they thought that the, it is, they use a natural filter. And that, that's, that's their motivation, to reduce the pretreatment in the facility. That was the motivation. But in my uh, PhD, what I did, I tried to understand if there are more advantages, chemical and also physical advantages, to this than people are already know. So are there any other advantages in terms of, for example, water chemistry when using saline groundwater? Yeah, as I mentioned before, there are several uh, natural phenomena that occur in, during seawater intrusion. And one of the phenomena is boron adsorption to the aquifer metrics. And, and you need to understand that boron is a very important ion or constituent in, in, in water that is really hard to, uh, to reject in uh, reverse osmosis. So just some numbers. So in seawater, you have on average about 5 ppm of boron. And it is poorly rejected because the, the, the neutral... Poorly rejected means it slips through. It slips through no, not 100%. Not but like, like, like all the other ions is, are, are rejected by 99 point something percent, right? Almost 100%. Mm -hmm. And boron is on the, on the like 60 to 80 percent. So what happens is that after first pass of, uh, of uh, treatment in, with the reverse osmosis membrane, right, you have, you have more boron than the standard, the national standard. So you have to treat it in, in another way or you have to, to, add, to add treatment to it. So what... So what most desalination plants do, they do second pass. 
which means they take the permeate water of the first pass, they elevate the pH to around 10 just to get the boron to be ionized in the borat ion. And then you do second pass with, uh, well, we call it brackish water reverse, reverse osmosis. And in the second pass, you, the, the, the boron ion is rejected almost 100%, like 90-something percent. And then you have the first pass water, which is high boron or relatively high boron. And you have the second pass permeate that you have very low concentration of boron. And then in some ratio, you mix the first pass water and the second pass permeate water in order to get to the standard that you want. So how does this come into play with uh, saline groundwater? So because you have the boron adsorption to the, to the aquifer matrix in, in seawater intrusion process, so you have this uh, boron sink, this natural boron sink in the aquifer. So when you pump the saline groundwater, uh, you have less boron than in seawater. Even if you take into consideration the, the mixing that you have with the fresh groundwater, it is still lower, right, because of the boron adsorption. So because you have lo- lower boron, you need to desalinate less water, less second-pass water, which means that you need to, to use less membranes, you need to use less energy because you need to desalinate less water, right? So all of this together is a great advantage. All of it, basically, all of this together translates to reduced costs when you compare it to seawater desalination. So can you give me an example of how much the cost could be reduced by uh, using saline groundwater? So a research that I'm working on right now, we compared between seawater desalination and saline groundwater desalination using a simulation code. And we looked at a scenario of, uh, of a plant which has 60 million cubic meter a year capacity, right? Is that, is that a big plant, small plant? So that's, a medium, that's a medium plant, medium to big plant, medium to large plant. Like large plants are now above 100 million cubic meter per year. But again, we use like, let's say, it's, 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 it's large plant when you consider selling groundwater as feed. Again, because of the pumping issues, right? Okay. So according to our calculations, we, we saw that due to, again, due to the salinity reduction, due to the boron reduction, you can save up to $4 million a year just because of these two issues, right? The salinity and the boron. And this is, this is major. This is major. So if I was to summarize the research that you did in your PhD... Basically, you've elaborated on the current knowledge of when uh, saline groundwater is better than seawater and uh, how you might make that decision. Is that correct? Yeah. So when when you want to build a desalination plant and you're thinking about taking the water from the subsurface and not from the ocean, then my, my PhD comes to place because it's more or less a holistic approach to say, okay, what will happen? What is the environmental impact? Okay, also the hydrological impacts and also the energy consumption and uh, eventually translate to greenhouse gas emissions, right? So if you take the dissertation and you, you read it, so you will find all of, the, all of the information from the research about the hydrological aspects and the operational aspects or the, or the process aspects. And I think it's really nice, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm not objective. <laughs> so, okay, so we said you're pretty much wrapping up your PhD. What's, uh, what's next for you? Um, so I'm starting a postdoc position in Colorado School of Mines in the United States. I'm going to be working with a professor named Brandon Dugan about uh, coastal hydrogeology. I'm going to uh, continue to work about these topics. So in a nutshell, it's a project that will look, look at confined aquifers below the ocean, like huge, large, large 
aquifers, fresh groundwater aquifers below the oceans, specifically below uh, the area between New York and Maine. And I, I'm going to study the salinity distribution according to data that we have from uh, ocean boreholes and also from boreholes uh, in, on land. And uh, I will build uh, a model that uh, will show the, the salinity distribution and also try to predict pumping scenarios to see if we can exploit uh, this enormous coastal, aqu- enormous aquifer, fresh aquifer, and uh, for how long and what is the damage, like what is the salinization um, that will happen there due to this pumping. Okay, very exciting. Shaked Stein, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Thank you. BGU Radio. BGU Radio. BGU Radio.